This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3706 for Monday, the 17th of October, 2022. Today's show is entitled, The Future of Technology. It is part of the series Privacy and Security. It is hosted by Lurking Pryan and is about 51 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is, a philosophical look at the future of technology. Matt, how's your week been? You know, it's over, so I can now say not too bad. Well, that's good. Because, you know, we've got to put that positive spin on it. You do. It, it's really kind of important to put that positive spin on things because, you know, I mean, nobody likes the negative spin. Do you agree with that? Say that again. I was going to say, everyone likes a positive spin, right? Uh, yeah, lies sell for a reason. I, I don't believe that at all. You don't think so? No. No, I dude. It's Have you possible like, to be too real with people. Well, no, I mean, if people like a positive spin, then can you explain to me what the fuck is going on with Facebook and Twitter? Oh, no. Well, they we like it, right? If you ask somebody how they're doing, nobody wants the truth. Well, there's um, that. But disaster sells, but it's from a consumption standpoint, not from people you know. I have this whole like theory about like how people attraction works. And the people who need support the most get it the least because we're all in a boat, right? If we're all in a boat, I guess it's a scenario I like to use a lot. We're all in a boat and there's, you see somebody drowning and then you see a strong swimmer. You know, you, you might go for the strong swimmer because you think that like that person is going to like help you out. Or you're going for the, I guess the better analogy with now in that case is like somebody in a bigger, fancier boat. So you want to get to the fancy boat so you can join the party. Well, you got a <laughs> hole in your boat and there's somebody kind of struggling in the water. You can stop and try to save them. And then, you know, maybe they could help you bail out your boat as you're trying to get to the other boat. But nobody stops or very few people stop because they're thinking, I got a hole in my boat and I just need to get to the other boat. And if I could go and join that other boat, then I'll be happy. But what they don't realize is that boat has a hole in it too. So we usually keep... a bigger hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Usually so, rats and fire too. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things. I think it's just a human, natural human interaction. The people who need support the most often get ignored because everybody is worried about the hole in their own boat. We, we are definitely a, an individualistic society today. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that we're meant to be that way. I, I think that we're supposed to be social creatures in our little tribes. But the problem is, is our tribes don't exist anymore. No, and I think that there's a reason for that. I mean, our tribes have moved online. And, well, I mean, there's a number of reasons for it. But first is jobs. Second is a lot of us come from tribes that suck. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just, even us, you know, our era, our generation growing up. And you know what? Maybe we need to have like a separate, we get all caught up on these things. Maybe we need to have a separate just general philosophy bullshitting podcast where we can talk about this stuff because I find this really interesting. But our generation, like, I don't know about you, but I guess I grew up in the country. My parents, on purpose, bought a plot of land away from everybody else because they said that they always told us growing up that they want they would rather import friends than just have us hang out with whoever, which actually meant no importing of friends. We couldn't hang out very much. So, you know, as a kid, I grew up kind of lonely and envying other kids that lived in this subdivision. But then when I was like a teenager and I had my bike and I could ride my bike to different places, I would ride through subdivisions thinking that there were going to be all these kids just playing out in the street and there weren't. And so it was really weird because it was like riding my bike through these ghost towns in the summer. And that was, you know, back in the early 90s. And and so I think if we have to go either earlier in our generation or to a previous generation. And maybe it depends also on the area. But that was my experience growing up is just, you know, nobody hung out anymore. There's all these houses close together. There's kids that live there. I know because they went to my school. I knew around where they lived, and they were all just inside. And that was probably, you know, the video game consoles, and I don't know. 
See, I was a kid in the 70s and 80s. I, I graduated in 89. So, I mean, video games weren't around when I was a kid. And no. my generation, I mean, you're at the tail end of my generation. You're on, like, that line between generations. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, right at the end of, of Gen X. Yeah, which which sucks, but that's okay because nobody in Gen X actually fits anywhere. Um, <laughs> We're a bunch of misfits. We are. But... um. We all played outside. There wasn't shit to do inside. And our no. parents would kick us out. They would literally lock the doors. And they would send us out, and we'd go play. And when lunchtime came around, my mom would come out and throw a pitcher of Kool-Aid on the picnic table and some sandwiches. And then it was be home before the streetlights came on. Yeah. And, well, I mean, and, and that's where I was. I was out there riding my bike. So, like, I was expecting to see all these other kids. Ooh. And, you know, it was like a, it was – Gosh, that the nearest neighborhood was a little over a mile away. So I had, I rode my bike over a mile to go and see if I could find any of these kids playing out in the street. And there were just none of them. See, I grew up in that transition period when video games, because video games were like popular with kids that were about 10 years younger than me. And it, it, it wasn't really the same experience for me and the people about my age, because the video games really didn't hold much for us. We were already kind of moving beyond the let's sit around and play games phase into other things. So, but it, it was weird because we started noticing just a disappearance of kids. Like there was nobody out to play. And it's like they all just disappeared. And we knew that they were there because we used to play with them. But then these video game consoles became cheap and affordable. and yeah. I mean, it started before that with cable TV. Um, yeah, we never had cable. And there was like Channel One, but we didn't have that either. Well, that sucks. Although I have to admit, I didn't watch a lot of cable TV. Um, my brother loved MTV. He was like glued to that damn thing. That's back when yeah. it was music, though. Yeah, so. we could watch that at my grandma's. She had cable. So whenever we went to visit her... We would sit there and watch MTV and, yeah, all the music videos and everything. But that was a big no in my house. Dude, that sucks. But, yeah, so you were, I mean, growing up, you would have, it would be the Atari or the Commodore 64, and those were not really mainstream. It was it was the original Nintendo. Yeah, we had the, system that, yeah, we had the Atari. Um, we had the Atari Play system. And um, those were the games that I played. Um because Nintendo didn't come out until quite a bit later. Yeah, like and, 86 or somewhere around there, right? Yeah. Somewhere. And hell, my first computer was an Atari, I want to say 2800 XL. So it's, uh, it, I really want to find one of those just so I can like have it up on a shelf somewhere. But, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the crazy thing is that people back then had no idea that they should hold on to those things because now they're collector's items, even if right. they didn't work. I know. And it's like, it was crazy because I had an Atari monitor, an Atari keyboard, an Atari um, tape tape drive. Um, I had a floppy drive that was Atari and an Atari. Everything was literally Atari. All of it. Oh, man. Yeah. And that's back before, it, that's back when everybody was doing the proprietary thing. And it's like, oh, you know, you have our stuff or you, you, you just lose out. Um, and then later yeah, on, you know, yeah, well, uh, Apple never quite caught on to that fad. Um, <laughs> they're still on the all-or-nothing fad, so. Works for them. Yeah, I guess. They've developed a cult, and good good on them. I'm more <laughs> of an open standards, let's, let's be able to pick and choose kind of guy. Me too. I, I'm stuck on iPhone because I have um, Scrivener on there. That's where I, I do my writing. And I could just say, oh, well, I won't write on my phone. But it's really nice to be able to get some words in when you're out and about. And oh, so, they don't have anything similar for Android? Well, no. It would have to be Scrivener because Scrivener is multi-platform. So I've got an iPad. I can write on the iPad. I can write on my computer. I can write on my phone. So but you can do the same thing on Android. No, because it I don't have Scrivener to that. It, that's the writing program I use on my desktop. So when I pull it up, it it um, interacts with the cloud. 
So all of my, as long as I don't mess up my sync, then all of my files are there. So I can, you know, it's the, it's the program. If they would develop it for Android, that would be amazing. Oh, so it's not cross-platform? No. Well, no. Like, I can use it on Windows. I can use it on Mac. I can use it on iOS. But they do not have it ported to Android. Yet. I don't think they're... They, they talked about it years ago. Uh, I, I think whatever partnership that they were working on fell through. So They even used to have it support on, like, an early beta on Linux, which was awesome because I threw it up on Ubuntu. Right. Uh, I, I, there was a point in time where I was really tempted just to switch out of either of these two major platforms. No. Oh, I ran but, Linux for years, and I, I only switched over to Windows, I want to say, maybe two years ago, maybe. And the only reason is, is I got a Surface Pro, and I was dual booting it with Ubuntu and Windows, but the problem was is I could never get the damn touchpad to work in Ubuntu. Yeah, that, I think that's what prevented me from full adoption was anytime you wanted to change something, for me, I didn't have enough time to become a magical Linux wizard. So it was, a, it was always hunting the internet to figure out how to get your NVIDIA drivers to work or... Yeah. You know, why isn't this working? Okay, well now you get you. What you've got to do is you've got to load up these repositories and then update the these files and go and you gotta you know grep some stuff and uh, now, all right. Imagine how much better the world would be if like Nvidia just made their drivers open source. That would be great. Because I mean, as it is, everybody in the Linux community. You have to reverse engineer that damn thing and then rebuild it. That's the problem with Linux is all these proprietary drivers. You have to reverse engineer them and yeah, build out yeah. a new solution. And then every time they change something, it's like back to the back to the majority of the drawing board. It's, it's like, like somebody somebody went and put a fork in the timeline. Back, well, it's, we, if we rewind it back to like 2000, well, uh, Unreal like, Tournament. <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, seriously, it's like Unreal Tournament came out, and you could install that on Linux, right? And and so it was like that was that was the branch, right? And then somebody said, "No, we can't be having that. We need to shut that down." So they were like one of the, as far as I know, one of the last game developers to actually release like an installable that would work on Linux. And, you know, gaming is, I think it's kind of like the porn industry for videos. The reason why we had VHS and DVDs was porn. Was porn. But gaming, it's like gaming is that same mechanism for computing. If, if games would have stuck with the developers would have stuck with releasing on Linux, then maybe there would have been more of a pull. But yeah, it had to have come down to ATI Money. and Nvidia and and being lobbied. You know, yeah. I'm sure Microsoft being like, "Hey, <laughs> we would really like it if you didn't make it as easy to develop on this other platform where people aren't paying." Because you know, it could be really insecure. I don't know what they, <laughs> I don't know right. what they sold them. They sold them something good, and that's where Linux kind of. But it's really interesting to look like look at Red Hat. Look how much of a presence it actually. It's like got a ghost presence in IT and enterprise well, I, everywhere. I was gonna say it's not much of a ghost presence depending on where you're at in IT. Um, well, I mean, just go just go take a look at you know any of the job boards. There's not yeah. as many positions for sysadmins for you know Unix or Linux. And I think a lot of people when they just come out of school they don't realize how big Linux actually is. That's that's what I mean by a ghost presence, is it? Yeah. You know, I think that if you are getting started in the career in IT, it would not be a bad idea to get some Red Hat experience under your belt, for sure. I would definitely agree with that. Because that's, you know, in an oversaturated market, most admins don't have that experience. Or maybe they took a class 
you know, with their computer science degree. And right. So they could maybe pick it up, but they're not power users. No. I mean, no. I, I took a class when I, I was, I did my bachelor's. It was, you know, internet system software technology. And I had one. I actually set up, you know, Linux and did their little exercises and everything. That by no means makes me an administrator, especially not in Linux. It's, <laughs> it's not as intuitive. Right. And yeah, it, that's um, it's a true story. I don't know. It's it's weird because you know if you watch if you watch where the world's going, it kind of seems like Windows and Linux are marching like toward each other, and it's like neither one really seems to want to talk about it. Let's, let's like, clarify that. Like, what do okay. you mean? Well, I Windows. For me. Okay, so Windows. Um, if you look at Windows um, research and development team. Pretty much everything that comes out of there is open source. Literally everything that comes out of that team is like open source. Um, they've started including the Linux substructure in Windows to make it easier to conform. And if you look at like PowerShell, I mean PowerShell, the command structure is almost basically Linux. Yeah, um, I, I like using PowerShell too. It's uh, it's very yeah. powerful. And they are giving more and more ability to the people that administer the systems and making it more friendly for them to do that. Um, they're, op they're opening the source code more. Um, there's even a lot of talk about them going open source. And Linux, on the other hand, has been marching in the absolute opposite direction. They've been marching down a path of consolidating forks and trying to squeeze out certain parts of the ecosystem that they don't really want to support or have mainstream. And it's like they're trying to be as much like Windows as possible to try and gather Windows users. And it's like they're just on this, it's like they're on two roads marching in opposite directions toward each other and neither one sees the other. So crazy. It is. And it's like, I think if they would like just sit down and say, okay, let's meet in the middle. I think we could probably end up with an awesome ecosystem. I mean, imagine what you could do with the financial resources of Microsoft and the open source resources that are available in the Linux community and put them together. How, how do you do that without Microsoft just gobbling it up? Because by its very nature, you know, it's what it does. Microsoft, the days of making money off operating systems is over. Um, today, it's no longer operating systems that matter. It's APIs and apps. And with the APIs that are being finalized, an app in your web browser can have the same level of access to your system as an operating system. So really, the need to run an operating system is irrelevant. You can build apps, run them in the cloud, charge people a subscription, and still make the same amount of money. The operating system that runs on someone's computer, that's just there to make the user feel good. As long as yeah. that system can boot up a browser, like Google was light years ahead of the curve. They saw that thing coming. <laughs> and if you look at a Chromebook, what is it? It's, it's a power source for a browser. <laughs> that's true. That's it. And that's where I mean, Microsoft sees the days of the actual operating system coming to a close. And I think that's one of the reasons they're willing to march toward open source is because the time and effort put into developing an operating system like Windows, when everything is migrating to an app-based structure in the cloud, just it it's not starting to make sense anymore. I don't think you're going to recoup the eff the money from the effort that you put into it. And I think operating systems are eventually just going to be relegated to geeks. And I think the average person is going to just be running a browser that connects to the internet and they run all of their apps via their browser with APIs. Hey, I want to argue with you, Robert, but I can't come up with a good argument because, I mean, even, gosh, 2010, we had 
browser, like HTML5 browser games that looked like that you had installed you had installed the game like like we always had you know i think i think black ops one of the black ops games yeah it was basically a browser game and i remember thinking like what the heck this is janky except it performed just like i had installed like this huge multi-gig executable you know like whole not executable but the whole infrastructure on my machine and i want to argue with you because i don't i don't necessarily like that future but if i ask myself why i i don't have a good reason because there's really i mean maybe if you're screaming everything to your machine then you know like what is the what is the data value of having all of your data go through there. But really, is it any different from, like, I think we live in an illusion right now. I have this OS. I have the applications and the software that I have installed on my machine. You You do, but you've got Office 365, and everything's actually taking place in the cloud. You're sitting there, you're using OneDrive, you're syncing everything to the Apple Cloud, you're running everything on a cloud backend. And the thing is, is we finally reached the point where there is enough available processing power for ideas like um, virtual reality. The problem with virtual reality was there was never the processing power available. You didn't have it, but now you have that availability in the cloud, and all that's holding you back now is bandwidth. That's it. I hate that you're right on this, and I don't know why I hate that you're right, because we're already living there. We're just, it's like a faux reality. It, it is. That's why, why I said does it matter? I don't, I don't know why it matters. This, this is making me upset, and I have no idea why. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, man, the days of the computer are over. I mean, if you think about it, you haven't carried a phone for the last decade. You carry a computer that makes phone calls. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that the other day. If, you know, like, yeah. it's not. It's not really a phone. It is, but if you if you really think about it, it's not really a phone. And I was I, I think I was like I was on a walk, and I had this thing in my pocket, and I was like, you know what? It's weird. Um, if if the law of averages for everybody who owns a phone, you probably have like you walk down the street and you think, ah, oh, these you know, none of us are really that rich. However. How many of us are sitting there walking down the street with a thousand dollar piece of hardware sitting in our pocket? And how many people do you how many people do you know that still have desktops? I do. You yeah, but how many other people do you know? I don't don't know that many people. And you're and we live in the geek community. And even even embedded in that community, we don't know a whole lot of other people that actually have desktop systems. Well, and I mean, a, a great point to that is a big portion of the market share for gaming has moved to mobile gaming. You know, you've yeah. got these gotcha games. The The latest big one, you know, is the um, Diablo one that came out from Blizzard. And you've got people spending some, like in the extreme cases, streamers who are making that money anyway, um, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on these in-game items and it's all on it's all on mobile mm-hmm. i mean you can i think you, there's a client you can get for the pc but the majority of players are playing on mobile and this is i mean i played it and it's it's right there with diablo 2 you know it it feels the same way except now instead of you know clicking all over the screen to move you're just running around with your finger on your phone and it's so much more efficient yeah. Yep. And they're and they're making money hand over fist. So and and that if that if that's what we're looking at, that is an app. That's that that mobile code that you're you're talking about. Yep. So what's the difference between running an app there on your phone where most of that stuff is streaming down from the server anyway? Mm-hmm. And just doing that, I I can't disagree with you. <laughs> I want to. I want, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm legacy now. I'm just legacy, and I don't like the idea of it. But we're already, the truth is, we're already living there. But see, that's, that's, what, that's my rationale for 
understanding why more open source is coming out of Microsoft. I think they already see the future, and I think they realize the only way to keep the Windows operating system going is to release it out to a community of people that are actually caring enough to keep it going. And yeah. I think you're going to end up seeing some kind of weird Linux, Windows hybrid that will eventually replace both of them. And I know there's a lot of people out there right now that are like, oh, hell no. And they're on both sides. Both sides are saying, oh, hell no, we would never do that. But really, what's, what's to stop it from happening? All right, listeners, those of you on either side, welcome to, <laughs> welcome, welcome to Legacy. You feel like I feel. Yeah, exactly. You can argue with it. You can not like it. But it's probably it probably has a lot more truth than we're willing to admit. So sleep on it. That's the well, future. Well, I mean, come on. Do you remember when everything was going virtual and how many people were sitting around? Oh, I'll never have virtual machines. I'm always going to have. Phys Nobody has physical machines anymore. They're all virtual. You've got a couple of big beefy hosts, and now everybody's like, "Oh, I'm not going to go to the cloud." Everybody's going to the fucking cloud. Whether you like it or not. People who tell me they're not going to the cloud, I'm just like, "Yeah, you are." It's just a matter of who owns that cloud. That's it. <laughs> who writes the check for it? That's that's it. But it's just the it's just the evolution of the game and recognizing where it's going, I think, is going to help is going to help people move in a direction that they can still have a job ten years from now. Right. And I think people getting out of college right now that say, Hey, I want to go be a developer for Microsoft well, you better get in on the app side of things. <laughs> if you go trying to be an OS developer, you're going to find yourself out of work. And that's not a happy place to be. Very, oh. very valid points here. And, I mean, now on the server side, are we still going to have operating systems? Well, VMware technically well, is VMware is technically an operating system. <laughs> yeah, and but that's it's it's interesting because you know I I think if we go back you know look at what the future looked like in the '60s and then in the '80s you know the future always looked really weird but the future yeah. in reality is not so much it's not as different from today as we'd expect so you know. Back in the the nineties with the you know anytime you saw a hacker or a script kitty in a in a movie, it was all like this weird, crazy command line stuff. Can yep. you do it? Yeah, you can but i I think that the future's probably gonna like I have to agree with you. it's probably gonna be running preloaded apps for command processes mm hmm in an in an interface so um you know if you're just starting out in your career or you're just you're you're thinking about it um ui work is always going to be beneficial but please don't be like these new millennials running around creating uis that i can't understand you're making <laughs> me feel old and i'm not old <laughs> stop hiding stuff put it in a logical intuitive manner well, but it, but the thing is, is intuitive is relative. I know it's horrible. It's like everyone tells me that Apple is intuitive, and I'll be—I tell you what—every time my wife hands me her iPhone, I'm like, "Where the hell is shit? I don't know where anything is. I, I'm lost. I, it's not intuitive to me. Right. Now you, you hand me anybody's Android, I know exactly where stuff is and how to get there. I think intuitive is relative. And like a uh, perfect example uh, that you're you're bringing up here is before Steve Jobs died, he was trying to sell everybody on the on the idea of a one button mouse, and I I wanted to fly out to California and punch that man in the mouth. Like as a gamer, I wanted seven buttons on my mouse, and I wanted them all programmable. <laughs> that made sense to me. That was intuitive. A one button mouse? What the heck am I gonna do with that thing? So yeah. Um... Well, 
as the need for that mouse goes away, it starts to make a lot more sense. <laughs> I mean, I, I can just click with this thing? That's it? Yeah, pretty much. Yep. There you go. There's no scroll? Nope. No. Don't need it. No zoom? Nope. Don't need it. I can't go forward and backwards uh, on the web browser without touching. Matter of fact, I won't be surprised to see mice that don't have any buttons at all. Neutered mice. Um, you heard it here, folks. Uh, here, here, Touchscreen mice. <laughs> Touchscreen mice. No, seriously. <laughs> Did you ever think that we wouldn't have a keyboard on a phone? I. It blows my mind that we can do what we can do on our phones. So, but, but I mean, it really think, think back. Did you really ever think that there would be a phone that didn't have a keypad? Oh, oh, I get what you're saying. So I was thinking, I was thinking, too, too fine tuned. You mean like buttons. to punch in numbers? How the heck are yeah. you going to punch in numbers if there's no phone? There's no buttons on the phone. You're right. right. Now we touch our screen. We still hit, you know. Five 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 five, whatever yeah. to call somebody, but we're not pushing actual buttons. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, and I, I don't see why wouldn't a mouse go the same way? Shut up. You could have as many buttons on that damn thing as you wanted. It's all touchscreen. Stop speaking truth to power, Robert. And think about how much more responsive it would be. <laughs> you need to be quiet now. I don't like your future. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on. Have you played like Nintendo Wii? Dude. A long time ago, yeah. Yeah, but even back then, what was your controller? Your hands. It was just a freaking fancy accelerometer with a little button that you could push. That was it. See, this is it's weird because what you're saying, these are topics that I've been excited about. And now that we're seeing a transition into the future, it's there is a little bit of fear with these things of like the world is changing. And I don't know, is it a control thing that I don't I feel like I don't have any control over it or you have zero control over it. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. You have well, zero I know control. that. So <laughs> so so the only thing that you can do is sit back and enjoy the ride. Now right. I mean, the days of the computer, the days of the phone, those things are gone. Even the days of carrying a phone are leaving us. We're going to start wearing our computers. I see that. Yeah, because I, 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 I've seen people talking into their Apple Watch. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, most of us, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a way that you're getting notifications that isn't just your phone. Um, yeah. I'm sorry if you bought Google Glass like I did. It's not coming across your Google Glass because they don't need it. I am so jealous. I wanted one of those so bad. <laughs> that also was way ahead of its time. Right. Okay. It, and I think I keep it because I think it's probably going to be a collector's item at some point. It'll be back. But, but yeah, the, that is not – that was a version of the future that was too old. It was too know. early. The thing yeah. is, is, I think Google has tested the waters for other companies to let them know where society was and was not. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is you have to throw the thing out there that scares people and then slowly let them get used to the idea. And I mean, come on. If most people today realize that the vast majority of what they were doing on a computer was just browser based, most people don't even think about it. No, that's why this is – I can't argue with you. As you say it and I try to attack it, I realize that the majority of what I'm doing is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And, dude, as they make microprocessors smaller and smaller and smaller, dude – We now have cameras that are the size of a grain of sand. Yep. Um, which is crazy even if you just think about not even the optics – but the memory and the storage and the control unit, that's insane. It is. Um, so, yeah, it, it only makes sense that things are – this is probably one of those cases where things are changing. You go back to Moore's Law, um, things are changing way faster than what we're seeing in the marketplace because, as you just said, you know, 
uh, Google Glass was way ahead of its time. But I was walking through the mall. Ha, ha, ha. Malls exist still. Um, yes. Because that's where the theater that we go to is. Um, but we were walking past the one of the eyeglass stores. And I don't crucify me if I'm wrong. I believe it was Ray-Bans. Mm-hmm. They had an advertisement there. And they actually have a camera in the frame. Um, just uh, right, right at the joint. I, do, I yes. think it was Ray-Bans. Um, but There's so now that happening. that is Google Glass. Maybe you yes. are not seeing, you know, they don't yet have the overlay for the lens because that might be the bridge too far for consumers. But you can sell them on, hey, uh, you can take pictures with your eyes, which was from Google Glass. Yep. And almost guarantee you that Google has a patent on there. Also, don't crucify me if I'm wrong. Um but now people can take pictures with their regular glasses. And then and it's just the next step to turn that thing into a heads-up display. Yep. Then you do the overlay over the, yep. the lenses. The, and we already have polarized lenses that, and, or transitions. And so, then those, those VR glasses get smaller and smaller. And then, hey, you can actually look through the VR glass and see the world around you or yep. not. And um, then the next thing you know, you'll be able to stick it in your eye in a contact lens. Yeah. yeah. But what did we call those people? What, what did we call all the the Google Glass people? I I never got called it because not very many people saw me with mine. They were called glass holes. Glass holes. <laughs> I, I guarantee it. You want some fun? Go on YouTube. I just type in glass hole, uh, and I'm sure that you will get some. <laughs> some of those videos that people were just all up in arms about the Google glass and making funny videos about people being glass holes about using their Google glass inappropriately um, in social situations. But what we're doing is, you know, maybe that was too soon, but it introduced this idea to people. And now we're going to slowly increase the temperature of the water and get people up to speed guaranteed that there's tech out there right now that we could be doing stuff way more advanced than what we're doing, but we're not ready for it yet. Wait a minute. Somebody already has neural implants. Yep. Putting holes in people's head with little tiny optical fibers going into the brain. You signing up for that? No. Um, we'll check back with you in 15 years and see if you still feel the same way. Okay. I'll be just too early. I'm not about being a guinea pig. <laughs> So you just don't want to be early to the party. That's all. I don't want. You know, I've. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm not one to ride that first wave. I. <laughs> you don't want to be the space monkey that gets strapped to the rocket. Oh, or the person who has that freaking laser disc player. Or that, that glass hole that, that bought Google Glass for fifteen hundred dollars and it sits exactly. in that box, mm-hmm. waiting to be a relic of. Future's past. Exactly. That's me, in case nobody got a reference. All those HD DVDs that are laying around in someone's house or or even in those old Betamax or... I think the HD DVD, rolling back to earlier in in this episode, I think that was the the one where the porn industry actually lost. No, no. Was it HD DVD or was it the Blu-ray? Blu-ray was where the porn industry went. That's the same reason we have HTTPS. Because Microsoft had also developed SHTTP, where they just encrypted the traffic on port 80. I remember that. Mozilla, yeah. yeah, Mozilla developed SSL and moved the moved the socket over to 443. And um, they were trying to fight for e-commerce, and the porn industry went with HTTPS. And that was the end of SHTTP. <laughs> Down the rabbit hole. Same way Betamax died. Porn industry went with VHS. <laughs> The porn industry has really decided where technology has gone for the last 40 years. And it, you can argue with it all you want, but facts. Well, maybe that's why the SEC has uh, so many hits for Pornhub. Is it, they're really just trying to regulate by figuring out where the porn industry is. Pornhub uh, is a $2.5 billion company. That's B, capital B. <laughs> yeah. I don't think either one of us are necessarily advocating, listener, that you go and do research at, uh, in the porn industry to figure out where your tech career is going. 
Um, just that they have an influence. They have a lot of apps. Um, <laughs> did you say apps? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Those just two. Make sure I heard you right. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The intersection of technology and kittens. Um, kind of crazy. It's a it's a crazy world we're living in. Yeah, but this has been an interesting episode. I, I like this being able to kind of talk this stuff out because you know, especially I think in tech, um, maybe in particular, we've seen a big push to you know being remote, and a, a lot of people probably don't get access to these conversations as much as they used to. Uh, earlier in my career, you know, we used to theorize about where tech was going. And you have to kind of have a basis of of that and an interest in that if you're going to be in the security realm, because you also have to think about the implications of, you know, where is security in those pivots? Yes, and, I mean, you have to think not only where is security, but where's the adversary in those pivots? <laughs> I mean, we just discussed that we have APIs that can have the same level of access to your computer as an installed application. Wait, what? I, <laughs> the, this goes both ways. And, you know, I mean, technology is neither good or bad. It's just a matter of how it's used. Um, but recognizing where the industry is going and maybe being able to get in and see where are the, the security points on those so that we can have that cool whatever the hell it is that we're wearing five years from now and not necessarily worry about it being horribly insecure. Now, privacy, that's a whole different story. But yeah, privacy is always going to be, I think it's, privacy is going to be, we're going to talk about security going into the future. Privacy is where the real, that's where the real battle is. Yeah. Um, security, uh, people are willing to accept that. But privacy, but, but even still, I mean, the people who really want privacy, they're, they're not as many as you would think. Yeah, they, they, especially, you know what, I also wanted to disagree with you there, and there's probably a bunch of listeners who wanted to yell at you too, and they might have, um, but I think especially the younger generations, they are very willing to trade privacy for something, um, because it's not, they've grown up in a different world than we did, so it's not something that they've valued. Well, let me give you a war story from the Air Force from over a decade ago. We have recall rosters. And on the recall mm. roster, you have the name of every person in the unit, their rank, you've got their address, their home phone number, their cell number, their email address. All of that information is sitting on a recall roster. Well, we had a good idea fairy come along who said, hey, we can get this third-party company who will do robocalls. And then we don't have to do manual phone calling down the phone tree whenever we need everybody to come in and report. We can just have this third-party company do it. So they went and gave all of those recall rosters from every unit to this company with zero consent from the people whose personally identifiable information it was. Welcome to the and, military. And out of the entire base, guess how many of us objected to this and were allowed to opt out? Uh... Two separate numbers uh, or ratios. I think probably a lot more people objected to it than spoke up about it just because the the environment of the military, but not as many as any of us might expect. And allowed to opt out was probably, maybe it's, this is just my personal experience and tainted cynical nature, but zero. Five. Were, Five. were people allowed to opt out? Opt out? Yes. Yes, people were allowed to opt out. Five of us. And that was, only, that was only after we had taken our case to the inspector general and opened up a case against the base. Yeah, see, I'm not, I'm not at all surprised that it took that much. But, but the caveat here might be military with the age group. Um, because a, lot, a lot of folks are not going to... Well, it's a battle. Everything in the military, you have to choose your battles. Um, you're always... 
But the thing is, is six months later, everybody was wondering why they're getting all this spam on their cell phones because the company that they sold, that they gave everything to was a notorious spammer. And they sold all of that information to other third-party companies. Yeah, you're the product. And they gave it to that company for free, who then turned around and monetized it. Yeah, I'm not not surprised at all. So, I mean, when people talk about privacy, I don't believe them at all. People like to talk a good game about privacy, but if they really liked it, would Google and Facebook be where they are? Well, it's a trade-off of privacy and convenience. And it's just you, security. And most people, yeah, I think most people don't really, they're not considering the cost. They're not considering what they're worth. Well, the thing and, is, is. And again, it, it's like, it's legacy, right? Like you, you and I might be up in arms against privacy, um, but maybe, maybe we're old hat. Well, but the thing is, is people have the illusion of privacy. Oh, well, I signed up for Facebook, but I've got my profile set to friends only. Okay, you've missed the entire real problem. But we threw a smoke screen at you that made you feel better, and boom, the privacy argument goes away. And it's, yeah, not, until Cambridge, and it's not until a Cambridge Analytica pops up that people get all up in arms, and then the argument falls away again. Because we have no attention span for any kind of lengthy battle. Right. And and I think anybody who would is just, you know, by nature going to argue with Robert here. You can set up a free um, advertising account through Facebook. So um, why don't you do that and then look at the information that you can target and then you'll start thinking twice about, you know, your interests and your likes that you have on your profile, uh, like what movies you like and what books you like. Um those are all advertising target points. It's all, it's not, it's not really data for your friends and family. It's, um, it's, it's for Facebook and the people who um, advertise on there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but definitely go, you know, spend a, spend an hour or two, go set it up. Um, it's actually probably a really good experience for you. Um, you can even look at setting up a, do the same thing on LinkedIn. Yep, a Facebook pixel, um, and see what kind of data you can track just by having people hit a website. People who never actually go to Facebook. Yep. Don't have a Facebook account. Um, no, Robert's dead on here. And, and I think this probably goes back to earlier in this conversation where I wanted to argue with him about the necessity of my desktop and the realization that most everything that we have either runs on apps, uh, like web-enabled apps, or could be moved there very easily. And what in the industry is actually there because it needs to be technology-wise or because you can't change too many things all at once. It has to be a slow transition for people to accept it. Otherwise, you're holding on to a pair of Google Glass. Yep. Facts. Well, hey, man. I think we probably ought to wrap this one up. We've gone a, we've gone a bit long. Um, yep. do, you have a yeah. pick, do you have a pick of the week? You know, I do. Um, when I was doing my security degree, one of the recommended – back when I bought the recommended reading books, um, this one was actually pretty good. It's called Defeating the Hacker um, by Robert Shafreen. And it's, you know, it's labeled as a non-technical guide to IT security. You know, maybe if you're if you're really into the tech side, you know, if you're the guy that runs, you know, the Kali Linux um, virtual to get in there and dive in, this is still probably a good book for you to read because you have to be able to relate to folks that are not technical. And, that, and that's what I really liked about this book in particular is that it was a, a, a pretty decent read. And, you know, a lot of the stuff is going to be pretty basic, but it gives you a foundation to be able to have those conversations with folks that might not be as technical that maybe want to be technical, but they need to get a basis in, you know, just the the concepts and the principles. So that's my pick of the week. What's yours? Well, you know, mine's also a book. Um, I I might catch some flack for this, but I'm going to go ahead and go there. Um, Salman Rushdie, the satanic verses. Okay. So give us a, give us your reasoning. Why is this your pick of the week? 
other well, than what's been in the news. Well, I mean, it, that's that's what brought it back to my mind. But I've got two first edition copies of the Satanic Verses. Um, I I bought it when it came out. It was great. I'm I'm a fan of his other work as well. But the story is hilarious, and I I honestly think that the people in the world who are upset about that never actually read the book. Um, it's very easy for people to be told something about a book and decide to ban it. If you don't believe me, just look at Florida. Um, uh, no, it's it's a great read. It is funny. It is not about religion. Um, it's about people. And I'm just going to leave it there at that. But if you haven't read it before, pick it up. Give it a read. It's funny. It will make you laugh. And you also will probably let be left scratching your head wondering why people wanted to kill him over this book. Um, kind of, that's, that's my pick of the week. All right. Well, I mean, you know, it, that, that might make some people upset, but I would say, you know, sometimes if we challenge ourselves, even if you go into something with a closed mind, you know, it doesn't hurt to expand your horizons. You've, you've heard me expand my horizons a few times over this episode. It's, you know, it's a difference between morals and ethics. Morals belong to you. Ethics belong to everyone. Um, so, you know, keep in mind what's moral for you is not moral for everyone else. All right. Well, thanks, listeners. Uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Yeah. Take care and have a good one. <laughs> Bye. been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.